I'm Chris Peters, and this is the Consultant Side Gig Podcast for those seeking a future in marketing consultancy to complement their day job, or for those looking to build knowledge that enables them to build a full-time career as a consultant. Building your own marketing consultancy doesn't happen overnight, and it's not down to luck. So we share the stories for those that have done it, are doing it, and the lessons I learned along the way. We'll unpack their tricks and tips to kickstart your very own consultant journey. So let's go. Advisio podcast. You are guest number number two. It's great to have you. Um, if you don't mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do, and a little bit more about your experience. Uh, yeah, sure, uh, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited excited to be chatting with you today. Um, like you said, my name is Liam. I currently am a full time growth consultant, I'm a solopreneur growth consultant. My company is called Growth by Liam, which might sound egotistical when you're listening to this, but I kind of went with a personal brand first over like an agency name. And that came from a great piece of advice from other people that have done this before. Um, I've been in the B2B SaaS space for, for going on nine years now across a, a, a bunch of different types of companies, different sizes of companies, um, have found that I really enjoy working with very specifically Series A B2B SaaS startups Seed is a little too small for me. Series B, they're usually looking at hiring someone as a head of growth full time. And so I act as a fractional head of growth for Series A B2B startups uh, currently. Great. So looking at your career, you've had a very successful decade or so in marketing, flourishing um, into like leadership roles, but you decided to make the leap just under a year ago, what what motivated that decision to become a, a fully fledged self funding consultant? So it's yeah, sort of has two prongs. One was it was a, a bit of a pragmatic approach. So I live in Canada. Um, when when the borders opened back up for Canadian founders to move to San Francisco again. A lot of the Canadian tech talent left Canada as they traditionally always have. Uh, they were here for a bit during COVID, but you know, YC opened its doors again and, and people fled the country. Uh, so what happened was a lot of these companies that were raising for Series A, they are uh, raised their Series A, they don't have the HR infrastructure to hire Canadians. And so I was left with very few realistic job openings for people that were willing to hire me full time because I'm Canadian and they're all US based. And so one of the things I had conversations with mentors about was, hey, open up your own consultancy. They don't need to hire you full time. And then you can help a bunch of companies instead of just one at a time. And I really liked that approach. And, and I, like most marketers, I think everyone kind of has side gigs. I don't know when I started my first side gig. It was like two years in to being a marketer, but I think everyone has them. And so I was like, oh, my kind of my fun hobby can be my full time. I'd never really considered having a full time agency or a full time consulting gig until someone had mentioned it. And I was like, oh, I think that's a great idea. It sounds like a ton of fun. And, you know, I'm a solopreneur. Um, it's, it is a really interesting, fun adventure. I, anyone that's sort of considering it on the side, that is, hey, I think I would like to turn this into my full time. I, I honestly suggest just going for it. I see more and more people on LinkedIn doing this, heading into this every day. Yeah, I, I see more and more talent making this jump. And 
it's super interesting because I, I was doing some self-reflection on people that I follow and who I'm really immersed in their content and LinkedIn. And it's lots of people like yourself who have uh, left full-time roles and have distinctive points of views and appear to be doing very, very well. So, so, so talk to me about some of those um, early on inspirational side gigs that you had. Yeah, so I would say like the most defined side gig that I had, I was working for an agency or like they're, they're a hybrid social media tech and social media agency at the time. And I was uh, their, their manager of, of growth marketing as their first marketing hire. And then I got approached by a growth consultancy that effectively did the side gigs as a service. So oh. they would bring in part-time growth marketers or growth managers, and then they would find companies to go work with those growth managers. And, and so uh, they approached me in terms of like, hey, you do growth. We've got clients that need part-time growth. This was right. I, I've been doing side gigs for a bit. Nothing too extensive, but this was, you know, sort of right at the start of, of COVID. And the first client I got put on uh, was a company called Hopin. And if you're not aware of what Hopin is, Hopin is a virtual events platform. And like anything during COVID, anything virtual events, you know, Zoom stock blew up and they had to do, they had to do layoffs because they did growth for growth's sake effectively uh, during COVID. But th these were Hopin's peak growth years. And I had never, and I was coming in purely as, as, as a consultant. Um, they had a full-fledged marketing team, but I, I was brought in to help them sort of scope out the landscape of, oh, we have gone from, you know, a, a decent amount of revenue to we can't even keep up with the amount of people that are interested in this. And so there was about six months I was consulting for this opera team. And it's, I don't know if I will ever see something like that again, just based on the economic ingredients that went into this insane explosive growth at the time. And it was, it was wild. They were like trying to move from HubSpot to Salesforce and trying to implement Marketo because their HubSpot bill was so large because they kept like needing the next package and the next package and the next package right. within Open months and months. And, and it was, <laughs> it was an incredible time. Like I said, not something I'm sure I'll see again, unless we get some sort of economic circumstances, obviously not right now as we're in a down economy, but I'm interested. It was, it was an incredible experience and definitely one where I was like, Oh, I think I, I think I really like this consulting thing. It's, it's fast and you see new problems all the time and it, nothing is ever stagnant and, and showing up to work. Uh, felt it was something that I, I got out of bed excited to do, I think is a good way of, of ending that story. No, great, great, uh, great gig. I actually think they're a British company as well. Actually, I think hop in. Um, so right, right time, right place for you. But so that was when you was full time in full time employment. How did you juggle being a full time employer and have a side gig? Is it something that you kept secret? Was you completely transparent with your? Uh, <laughs> employer how did that come I, about? I love this question so um, um truthfully i've i uh i so i had i had side clients going into that gig that my full-time gig at that time um the company was called icuc.social and so 
I I had told them going in that I already had side gigs. I was like, hey, I have side gigs. I am not signing a contract that will not allow me to continue to do side gigs. And here's the reason me doing side gigs is actually a positive for your business. I get to see problems that you might come up against that I have faced previously because I've had side gigs. And I I get to talk to more people and learn more stuff faster that don't just solely exist in the ecosystem that your company exists in. And so I get to expand my career outside of just our ecosystem. So maybe I can bring stuff from outside ecosystems in to this ecosystem. And and the CRO that was hiring me at the time was hesitant for sure. Um, But effectively, we got the deal over the line where she was like, okay, continue to do that. And, And realistically, that's what led to, to to me effectively being able to grow ICUC as a company while I was there was because of previous problems that I had seen while working on side gigs. Amazing. So when you had that initial conversation with the CEO, did you preempt this being a barrier or was you completely transparent and already had that framing in mind? Or was it, oh shit, the CEO's asked me about this and that was fully off the hip? So I went into it um, I, I remember reading the contract and the contract specified, you know, like any, any contract, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm signing some sort of, um, you know, uh, I can't go work for other companies that yep. seemingly look like this company. Mm-hmm. And I was fine with, with, with signing that. But what I wanted to make sure that that clause was not incorporating was working on side gigs as a generality. Yep. I don't know if generality is a word, actually, but we're going to use it. Uh, so, uh, so I made sure that I was able to still continue to work side gigs and realistically sold it to the company. And I had it actually put in writing that I was allowed to take on side gigs. I was allowed to do consulting on the side as long as it was not working for one of their competitors, which I found to be a completely reasonable contract mm. clause. No. Yeah, makes sense. So when you decided to make that jump, did you have one or two? Did you have a handful of these side gigs that was already compensating as your full-time role? Or did you go into it with other opportunities lined up? Or did you have, was you partially being paid? Like, How did that shift look like from a financial perspective from you? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I had been running a consultancy for a bit. And and one of the interesting things that I had done, which hindsight's 2020, sort of wish I hadn't done, was I had decided to be okay being sort of an interim head of growth for companies. So I effectively put, or for a company, so I effectively put all of my eggs in one basket, which did not turn out well Mm. for me because December rolled around and they laid off the entire revenue team of which I led. Uh, They, so layoffs happened. I mean, layoffs are happening absolutely everywhere. Layoffs happened. and, And luckily I had some people that I was, you know, that were sort of in my side gig pipeline, but I had put my entire consultancy into a single client. Um, Yeah probably don't do that if you're listening to this, but I don't suggest it. Um, so, so when, when that, when, when the entire revenue team got laid off and 
my contract got canceled with him. Um, I, I, like I said, I had a couple people in the pipeline and I had chatted with Emily Kramer of, of market one, who is an angel investor into B2B SaaS clients. And she was the one that effectively was like, Hey, just go full consultancy, stop taking on sort of these interim head of growth, stop putting all your eggs in one basket and, and really fix up exactly what your offerings are. Don't make them so vague. Be very particular about what you're going to do for clients and how to do it and go execute on that. And, and luckily I had, like I said, a couple of people in the pipeline that were looking to work with me that were in my direct ICP. So the jump wasn't crazy. I didn't just like stop working one day and then decide to continue and then just go, okay, I'm just going to do this. So I, I, I had a few people in the pipeline. So the jump wasn't that harsh. It could have been much harsher if I got laid off, decided to start a consultancy and had never done any of this before. So um, there is, in my view, you can do it a little, you know, a little gent more gently if you're looking to go full consultant full time is you don't need to quit your full time, start with one person, take more time to figure out your pricing and your offerings than I did. Really get that honed in. Make sure clients are cool with that. Chat with clients. Um, understand exactly what you're going to do. Get two clients. Like like effectively almost have this thing as a full-time gig before yeah. jumping in full-time. So, so thinking about your at this full-time gig, you have a few bits on the side. How are you finding these alternative psychic opportunities? So luckily I have a decent network of VPs of marketing at B2B, at B2B SaaS startups um, that are, are realistically looking for a growth consultant. So that was super helpful. Um, posting on LinkedIn, sort of posting my POV on LinkedIn, being in front of these people at all points of time was was incredibly, you know, I'm just always sort of top of mind for when they roll around and kind of go, okay, we're going to need to bring in someone that can help us put some gas on the fire. Uh, so, so a lot of it came through through LinkedIn and and referrals, which yep. uh, has been realistically my only source, my only requisite source of client acquisition at this point. Okay, and have you so? Organic has been your your key driver or only driver of bringing opportunities. Is there anything that you have in the pipeline that you're considering, like your own ABM bespoke strategy, mm. any outbound? Is there anything in the, the pipeline that you're looking at for Q2? There is. So so if, if we're... If we dial this back a few sentences ago, I mentioned specifically that I, I very much work with Series A, B2B SaaS clients. So sort of the, the technique that I'm looking at right now is being quickly into companies that I know have just raised their Series A round. And so... Um, whether they have most of the time they have either a single marketing person, their VP of marketing, or they have like a small marketing team. And so um, realistically, it's just being very transparent on LinkedIn as connect with them, DM them. Hey, you guys just raised your series raise. This is what I do for companies. Here's the proof. I would love to have a conversation with you, even just an open 
an open 30 minute strategic session to talk about how, how you plan to go. Like what, what's your plan currently you've raised your series a, you need to raise a series B in the next 12 to 18 months. So what's, what's the plan of getting there? And I've done this before I've gone through, I've helped companies go from series A to series B, which is inevitably sort of what you're looking for or, or raise your series in, in a, get an acquisition. I've, I've been through that process before and they take a slightly different strategies. And so it realistically is just, uh, yeah, outreach on LinkedIn. As soon as I know that they fit and getting in at, at the start, like right when they have raised their round, I've, I've found from a few of my tests open up far more conversation than people, far more positive conversations than people that I saw raised you know, four or five months ago, and then they, they've they've gone through a bit of trying to figure stuff out, and it, it, it realistically is like, hey, here's here's how I can help tomorrow, um, and, and I've been there is a bit of an inflection point as to like now they're eight months post series raise, and they've made a lot of mistakes, and now they're sort of going, uh oh, we really need the next round, and so it's it's my 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 hypothesis at this point is it's, it's really early on or it's about eight months after they've raised as to like, they, when they know they really have a problem, they sort of have a bit of an ego after a few months. So. Yeah. I think um, often for me, when clients were coming to me, it was, they had tried everything else and nothing had worked. Um, So often my type of client was a challenging client because they were, moments before thrown in the towel, um, loads of stuff that have been thrown against the wall had not stuck, value proposition was not there. So I think on reflection of, in my experience, really understanding actually how to get clients is one thing, but the type of clients that you want to work with is uh, equally as important because that couple of years was a great learning, but a a difficult one as well. but just just going back to that point, because that's super interesting. So I've heard um, I've heard people do that. We used to do that, and what we found was when that information is public, you're one of quite a few people who go, "Oh, great, they've got lots of money. Let's 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 go and speak to them." So even though it's fresh and it's fresh for day one, day two, a week, actually lots of work has been going on behind the scenes and that infrastructure and growth modeling has been in the pipeline for some time. So so you said that you've had positive conversations. Um, like, So has that led to anything materialistic or is it just a positive conversation that's going to lead to something later on, do you feel? It's, it's led to a current client and two sort of in this wow. pushed off to Q2 stage. Yeah, it's been great. So... Um, a tactical example is a founder posted that she had just raised her her series A. This is a bit of bias because I, her and I know each other and mm-hmm. I've done some small consulting gigs for her previously. Nothing crazy. She was a seed stage company. Traditionally, seed stage don't have enough to 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 afford a, a growth consultant or a fractional yeah. head of growth. <clears throat> and so I had a bit of bias, but she had posted that she raised her series and I sort of just popped in going, Hey, um, I'm doing this thing now. 
you know, here's a few clients that I've worked with that are in a similar space to you that have similar goals. So what I'm assuming your goals are, and here's a bit of a, and again, I'm not necessarily asking them to, to be a client right away. It's mostly just like, let's have an opening 30 minute strategic conversation so I can help you not make some of the pitfalls of growth that I have seen companies in your stage make. You, people are very open to that. And, and traditionally that just leads to, to more conversations. Hey, can, can you make sure we're not going to do this? Hey, we're looking to hire a junior growth person um, because we can't, we don't need a head of growth and we probably can't afford a head of growth right now. So, but we need someone who is focused on growth. So we're going to hire, you know, someone with, with three years of experience, but that three years of experience, I don't really know if they know exactly what to do. And so can you come in and help mentor this person? So I, I feel like trying to provide, and I mean, this is good advice for any of the business that any of the businesses that I talk to is provide value upfront. Hey, I, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to help. And if this turns into business, it's not because I am trying to generate business per se. Obviously, that costs money, but it's because I'm trying to help you get to what I know that your goals are being in this certain stage of being a company. So provide value and cold outreach can work if done right. And if done well. Time. Yes. Yeah, so far so good. And yes, you're you're absolutely bang on that founders who have just raised a series are getting hit up for all of those $15 million that they've just raised. But if you're saying, hey, let's turn that $15 million into $30 million over the next 18 months, they're kind of going, yeah, perfect. Okay, that's that's kind of a no-brainer for me. And, and you know, and just, you, you kind of have to have the proof they're not going to they're going to take a, a flyer on a fractional head of growth so you sort of need to have a bit of the proof that you've been there before and then it comes back to framing and positioning like you said earlier on when you was um, interviewing for that former ceo and you was very transparent about your side gig roles but actually position it in a way of look this adds tons of value for you i get exposure to this i get exposed to that i'm going to bring that learning here and it's going to be better for you so it's often a just about it's about the offer as uh dave uh dmg dave gohart always says um so so you're eight months in how are you finding it was it eight nine months in i do you have any regrets do you miss employment are you happier than ever uh so I will say that I'm happier than ever. I get to just wake up and do the things that I want to do every day. I, I've I've been a head of marketing. I, I've been a, I, a VP of marketing at, at Seed Series A companies. And there are just some things that come with those roles that I'm not good at and don't and don't actively enjoy doing that other people do. Like I, I don't love, you know, doing the massive budgeting conversations or the continual education of the CEO. Like those are just things that I don't personally enjoy. And as a consultant, I, I don't really have to do those things anymore. I get to talk to people about things I'm passionate about. And I enjoy talking to people about things that, you know, we have a common passion for. But there are things about being a VP or, or head of marketing that I, I have found out that I don't enjoy and 
I'm not necessarily saying you need to have complete enjoyment for every single thing that you do day in, day out. But, but, but if you can like reduce some of those, like, yes, I'm still not, you know, amazing when it comes to, let's say, let's say budgeting for, for example, like there's just massive spreadsheets involved or even project management for an example, like I'm a decent project manager, but a lot of the times being a VP of marketing is just being a very, very good project manager. And that's just like not really what I'm best at. Like I enjoy getting my hands dirty. I enjoy doing marketing. I enjoy executing and testing programs and campaigns. You don't really get to do that as a VP of marketing. So I would say that I'm definitely happy, definitely happier than I have been working internally at companies. Um, I love the flexibility in my schedule. I don't have to take pointless meetings. I don't, I don't sit in meetings all day. I kind of, I I do what I want to do and I'm on Slack when I want to be on Slack. Um, Those things have been fantastic. The only sort of downside as a solopreneur is I don't talk to people uh, lots of the day. So it can be a bit of a lonely existence, but hopefully communities uh, like yours are going to fix that problem for people like myself. Great, and, and and thank you for the uh, the plug. But absolutely, I think if you're <laughs> if you're taking this inherent risk without the safeguard of an employer, yeah, you, know, you need to have a the self awareness to know what you're what you're good at. But with that inherent risk, you want to be doing the stuff that you love doing more often than not. Like with anything, it comes with the territory. You have to pay have to pay the bills, and there'll be things that perhaps you don't like so much. But if you're doing this. Boy, you need to be doing it for for everything that you love love doing. So that's amazing to hear. Um, so so you mentioned you mentioned earlier about uh, you know actually for everyone it's not being as um, aggressive with the jump and maybe it might help if you have you know those psychics and you really figure out like your offering like how to how to um, your pricing structure like with your offering like how has that evolved. From that bit of advice that you've had, um, like how has that how has that changed from you know, side hustler to full time yeah. full time hustler? Great. This and this is super interesting. So when I was a side uh, when I was doing a side gig, I was almost exclusively a fractional head of growth. So it was almost exclusively X amount of dollars retainer based. I'm going to work on whatever needs to be worked on, and that is still definitely an offering. But what I'm finding with parts of of my clients or or what I'm finding with my ICP is sometimes a one-time project is is an easier starting point than than a retainer. So there are a couple of things that I offer. One is like, um, one, one is an audit. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to, I can audit your systems, I can audit your paid media accounts, I can audit likely whatever needs to be audited at this stage. For a one for a one time fee, um, people know that they need that done because they know that they have set that stuff up improperly. And so I'm going to come in. I'm going to audit it. I'm going to give you a path forward. You can take that. You don't need to work with me. You could take that to any growth consultant, or you could hire someone internally, and and fix that. Um, the next thing is like tooling setups. So. If I've audited your tooling, there's a chance you're also going to hire me to to fix all of the pointers that I've pointed out previously. And again, that's a one-time project. And what I'm finding 
is it's far easier to sell people on a one-time project that then gets built in to an ongoing fractional head of growth retainer than it was to just continually only sell on a retainer basis. And again, um, I have priced my stuff so much that a single a single project or two is is a fantastic you know monthly income for me. Like if I only had two project two of these projects to work on on a monthly basis, whew, I, I would I would be financially stable. We yeah. will say. Um, but, but what's ended up happening is people come to me going, Liam, I don't know if I've set up HubSpot correctly. Can you come tell me what I've missed? So here's like, I don't have budget to hire you full time, but I've got X amount of dollars for you to come in for the next four to six weeks, really audit my setup, really tell me what to do next. So I can come in, audit it, help them build a strategy for next steps. And they sort of go, oh, I don't have anyone to actually do this work now. Liam, you've provided so much value in this one-time project. I think I would be more comfortable moving to a a six-month retainer contract. And I just want you to implement this. And then what else can you help me with after that? And it's been it's been a bit of a game changer from from this push, push, push of fractional head of growth, retainer, fractional head of growth, retainer to here it's it, it's got a start and it's got an end and we can continue, but it's got a start and it's got an end. And I think people have an easier time, or, or especially VPs of marketing. So again, my ICP have an easier time budgeting immediately for a one-time fee than they do for, hey, I, I need to budget Liam for the next six months, but I don't really know what he's going to do yet. And so what happens is I can get my foot in the door with that one-time fee. They budget that as a one-time and then it ends up turning into a, a retainer. And that conversion rate has been really good um, from, from one-time project to retainer. It's been fantastic. So that is smart. So how do you ascertain what that, that hook is? What, how do you ascertain like your, your way in? Because I guess you need to be cognizant of being the jack of all trades, having this broad mm-hmm. offering, oh, I could do everything, which might diminish you and your expertise that is your, your hardcore offering. So, so how do you try and establish, okay, I consistently see my ICP, it is the, the hub spot, is the pain point. Or do you have an initial conversation and try and tease that out? Like, How do you go about doing that? But equally, is that part of your initial um, outreach message with people? Is that part of the hook or do you sell the wider dream? Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. Um, so usually my foot in the door is, is what I've defined as a growth audit. So 99% of the time, a seed company that has just raised a series A round has a couple of things. They've got HubSpot. And they know inherently they have not set up HubSpot properly to do any sort of growth experimentation. And so, or they've, on top of that, the next one is they, they've ran paid media with like the two or two or three different agencies that they had been with previously. 
and their accounts are a mess. They're not even sure if they have conversion tracking set up properly. They've heard the word remarketing before, but I'm unsure if there's remarketing tags on our website. And so the foot in the door is sort of going, hey, you've raised this money. If you want to actually raise your next round, all of this stuff needs to be fixed. And you could pay someone junior to come in, read all the HubSpot articles, do all of the research, but that's going to get fixed in six to eight months. You do not have six to eight months for that stuff to get fixed. I can fix it in four to six weeks. And so, you know, assuming there's not a ton of complex problems, there never is because they all have effectively set it up the same way every single time. They just don't really know what they're doing. And that's fair. You're a founder or you're a chief revenue officer that's never really needed to look at the stuff before. And so that is traditionally my foot in the door is here. Is this the place you're at? I'm guessing this is the place you're at. Here's a one-time fee. I'm happy to come in and help fix this for you. Um, and, and same with, and usually that leads to then can you fix this and retainer? So, so I do lead, a, yeah, I do lead a lot with let me come fix this stuff up for you because it's it's broken. And if it's broken, you will not be able to grow. The, the pitch realistically is uh, I've worked with, I've consulted for 30 plus companies in very similar stages to you at this point. The number one thing that ends up slowing down their growth is, is not necessarily being able to run growth experimentation, but being able to understand growth experimentation. And that comes from having your, your tooling set up done properly. Yeah, so that's, I, that's, that's the hook. I think uh, the, the, the plumbing and the people that can do that are always the, the unsung heroes of, of marketing because that, that stuff's hard. <laughs> and so if you, and it's, it's hard and it's hard to find people to do that. So that that's a testament to everyone please please steal this like find the thing that's hard and to find hard people or it's hard to find good people for and um make it easy for people to work for you with you that and, and like that just outside of consulting or outside of side gigs like that's just solving a pain point that other people don't really want to solve or haven't figured out how to solve yet is sort of the key to to being able to have a business that grows in the first place. Absolutely. So looking at going back to preparing yourself for this move, is there anything that you did in the form of mentorship or you mentioned earlier about some advice that you, you sought after? Did you join particular communities? What else did you do to really help with that, you know, that loneliness piece that you mentioned or <laughs> um, courses that were going to put you into the right path, learning nice. from others. What did you do? Yeah, um, this is a, a great point. So um, communities that I'm a part of, so I'm a part of Pavilion, which is a very large marketing Slack group. And then I'm also part of Metadata's demand group. I, I was one of the first hundred members of Metadata's demand group. So I've been there effectively since day one. Um, so both of those are not necessarily consulting related, both more geared to the thing that I actually execute on. So not necessarily how to run a consultancy or how to run an agency per se, or even how to run a business, but more, more on like the actual, here's how a company grows side of things. Um, 
from a mentor perspective, uh, thankfully, I kind of, I mentioned her earlier, Emily Kramer from Market One. I came across her desk about a year ago, and she has been instrumental in helping me understand the the problems that my ICPCs, which inevitably helped me figure out exactly the packages that I should be offering and how to offer them. So she invests in in my ICP all the time, traditionally at the seed stage. Um, so then uh, it's perfect because, you know, I, I have a bunch of calls with seed stage companies, kind of give them an hour's worth of advice on what to do over the next few months as they go to raise their series. And then my pipeline is built, honestly, for the next... F- like in Q2, Q3, as these companies go and raise their Series A, they're already like, hey, once we raise, we're coming to work with you. Once we raise, we're coming to work with you. I'm like, okay, this is this is perfect. So um, Emily Kramer has been instrumental in helping me figure out exactly what my offering should be just because she has such a perspective and understanding of the industry that I work within. Um, last week, I also met with... Ian Martins, who runs Bell Curve, which is the mm. agency side yeah. of Demand Curve, um, he was fantastic. I, I got to pick his brain for for a little over an hour. And obviously, he runs a very successful growth agency, um, and he gave me a lot of of sort of pointers about what I was doing wrong. So just just to bring that into perspective, um, before before I met with him. Uh, my, as a reminder, I run a solopreneurship consultancy. So it's just me. Um, at, at that time, the day, I bef- the day before the day of that I met with him, my consultancy was called growth by demand. And I met with him and he looked at me and went, are you a solo consultant or are you an agency? And I was like, oh, I'm a solo consultant. He goes, well, do you want to grow this into an agency? And I was like, well, that's not really my goal right now. And he went, then why is your company named like an agency? And I was like, oh, I, I've never really thought of it. He goes, people that want a consultant will want to work with a consultant. People that want an agency will want to work with an agency. So you have to brand yourself as a consultant, as a solopreneur consultant, not as an agency. And I was like, man, how did I let that slip through the cracks? I was like, that is a fantastic point. And so now it's called Growth by Liam, which like I said at the start of this, sounds egotistical, but the whole thing is there for me to lead as this founder brand here. These are my ideas. This is You're working with me directly. You're not working with other people at this agency that might not be me. You are working with me specifically. It's only me here. All you're doing is working with me. And that became... I, I I bought the domain, remade the website, redid my logo like the that day because like I just I need to get this done and flip this over, and realistically the the business outcomes from that have been spectacular. People wow. want people are like, oh, I understand what you are now. You're not you're not an agency. You you're you're a solopreneur consultant and. You know, I, I probably could have named it like Liam McCormick Consulting Services, but that's pretty boring. So I, I decided to do something a little bit more fun, as, as fun as you can make your own name <laughs> into a business name. Um, but uh, the point that he really drove home, and this is, I think, a spectacular point for, for anyone side gig or full-time consultant is, he goes, there are some people that want to work with an agency and there are some people that want to work with a consultant and you will never change either of their minds. They have to change their mind by themselves. So 
anyone that wants to work with an agency is going to work with an agency. Anyone that wants to work with a consultant is, is going to work with a consultant. And he kind of went, that's why I don't view consultants as direct competitors of mine, because realistically, we're not fighting over the same people because people already have in their minds if they want an agency or if they want a consultant. And so he goes, anyone on the consulting side needs to very much brand themselves and put themselves forward as a solopreneur consultant and not an agency because people, because if someone comes to you wanting to work for an agency and it's just you, he goes, that's going to be really tough. They expect fast turnaround times. They expect, you know, all of those SLAs to be different than when you're a solopreneur consultant. There's a little bit more leeway, I guess, in, in SLAs and turnaround times because they know it's just you and they're working with you and they're getting the best work. It's not someone that's working for you. Smart, smart, smart. So wrapping up now, um, what's next? What's on, you know, what's on Liam's agenda? Um, what's your roadmap look like for marketing? You know, you mentioned that it's going to be just you. Do you foresee a world where you might look at an assistant, a virtual assistant for support? Ooh, yeah. What's 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 next? Yeah, so I mean, tactically, what's next is I'm, I know I'm, I'm sort of finishing up building my website because again, I think that's just how people are. They're, if they read my content, they're going to go to my website, and that's how I'll inevitably close people. So, so wrapping that up over the next little bit, a VA I think is is definitely in the cards. Um, potentially looking at building out a bit of a subcontractor network as well is, is, is in the sort of on the back burner right now, a fantastic community of people that run performance marketing far better than I run performance marketing. And so um, people like that for me to pass that stuff off to or, or, or designers and those sorts of things. Again, I'm not necessarily trying to run an agency, but if I can help solve some other problems along the way that they're looking for, that's always a fantastic community to have. Um, realistically, it is just the continuation and refinement of exactly what Grow by Liam is. You know, I, 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 this is still early. I'm still early doors. I'm still figuring out exactly what my offerings are going to be and exactly my pitch and exactly my acquisition strategies. And so, you know, I'm a growth experimenter at heart. And so all of this is just a big experimentation. We're just trying stuff. We're documenting stuff and, and we're seeing what's working and what's not working. Um, and, and then outside of that, it's uh, in every now and again, sitting down and just taking a bit of a look back as to like how far we've come from, from, and, and, and goal planning is like, Hey, what's, what's the next thing? What's the next thing on our strategy? So working, it's difficult. Solopreneurship is sort of like working on the business and in the business at the same time. So it's it's a reminder to work on it. It's taking some time to work on the business and, and not just in it. No, it's your story has been truly inspirational. I think I've learned three or four things that I'm going to be looking to apply for me and myself and this community and my uh, consulting aspirations. So I think on on that note, We'll leave it there, Liam. We'll put your details in the show notes. Thanks for coming and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Chris.